Chapter forty seven of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The strike made a good deal of talk in the office of every other week. That is, it made Fulkerson talk a great deal. He congratulated himself that he was not personally incommoded by it, like some of the fellows who lived uptown and had not everything under one roof, as it were. He enjoyed the excitement of it, and he kept the office-boy running out to buy the extras which the newsmen came crying through the street almost every hour with a lamentable, unintelligible noise. He read not only the latest intelligence of the strike, but the editorial comments on it, which praised the firm attitude of both parties, and the admirable measures taken by the police to preserve order. Fulkerson enjoyed the interviews with the police captains and the leaders of the strike, he equally enjoyed the attempts of the reporters to interview the road managers, which were so graphically detailed, and with such a fine feeling for the right use of scareheads as to have almost the value of direct expression from them, though it seemed that they had resolutely refused to speak. He said, at second hand from the papers, that if the men behaved themselves and respected the rights of property, they would have public sympathy with them every time but just as soon as they began to interfere with the road's right to manage their own affairs in their own way, they must be put down with an iron hand. The phrase, iron hand, did Fulkerson almost as much good as if it had never been used before. News began to come of fighting between the police and the strikers when the roads tried to move their cars with men imported from Philadelphia, and then Fulkerson rejoiced at the splendid courage of the police. At the same time, he believed what the strikers said, and that the trouble was not made by them, but by gangs of roughs acting without their approval. In this juncture, he was relieved by the arrival of the State Board of Arbitration, which took up its quarters with a great many scareheads at one of the principal hotels, and invited the roads and the strikers to lay the matter in dispute before them. He said now that we should see the working of the greatest piece of social machinery in modern times. But it appeared to work only in the alacrity of the strikers to submit their grievance. The roads were as one road in declaring that there was nothing to arbitrate, and that they were merely asserting their right to manage their own affairs in their own way. One of the presidents was reported to have told a member of the board, who personally summoned him, to get out and to go about his business. Then, to Fulkerson's extreme disappointment, the august tribunal, acting on behalf of the sovereign people in the interest of peace, declared itself powerless and got out, and would no doubt have gone about its business if it had had any. Fulkerson did not know what to say, perhaps because the extras did not, but March laughed at this result. It's a good deal like the military manoeuvre of the King of France and his forty thousand men. I suppose somebody told him at the top of the hill that there was nothing to arbitrate, and to get out and go about his business, and that was the reason he marched down, after he had marched up with all that ceremony. What amuses me is to find that in an affair of this kind the roads have rights and the strikers have rights, but the public has no rights at all. The roads and the strikers are allowed to fight out a private war in our midst, as thoroughly and precisely a private war as any we despise the Middle Ages for having tolerated, as any street war in Florence or Verona, and to fight it out at our pains and expense, and we stand by like sheep and wait till they get tired. It's a funny attitude for a city of fifteen hundred thousand inhabitants. 
"'What would you do?' asked Fulkerson, a good deal daunted by this view of the case. "'Do? Nothing. Hasn't the State Board of Arbitration declared itself powerless? We have no hold upon the strikers, and we're so used to being snubbed and disobliged by common carriers that we have forgotten our hold on the roads, and always allow them to manage their own affairs in their own way, quite as if we had nothing to do with them, and they owed us no services in return for their privileges.' "'That's a good deal so,' said Fulkerson, disordering his hair. "'Well, it's nuts for the Colonel nowadays. He says that if he was boss of this town, he would seize the roads on behalf of the people, and man em with policemen, and run em till the managers had come to terms with the strikers, and he'd do that every time there was a strike.' "'Doesn't that rather savour of the paternalism he condemned in Lindau?' asked March. "'I don't know. It savours of horse-sense.' "'You are pretty far gone, Fulkerson. I thought you were the most engaged man I ever saw, but I guess you're more father-in-lawed, and before you're married, too.' "'Well, the Colonel's a glorious old fellow, March. I wish he had the power to do that thing, just for the fun of looking on while he waltzed in. He's on the keen jump from morning till night, and he's up late and early to see the row. I'm afraid he'll get shot at some of the fights. He sees them all.' I can't get any show at them. Haven't seen a brickbat shied or a club swung yet. Have you? No, I find I can philosophize the situation about as well from the papers, and that's what I really want to do, I suppose. Besides, I'm solemnly pledged by Mrs. March not to go near any sort of crowd, under penalty of having her bring the children and go with me. Her theory is that we must all die together. The children haven't been at school since the strike began. There's no precaution that Mrs. March hasn't used. She watches me whenever I go, and sees that I start straight for this office." Fulkerson laughed and said, "'Well, it's probably the only thing that saved your life. Have you seen anything of Beaton lately?' "'No. You don't mean to say he's killed?' "'Not if he knows it. But I don't know. What do you say, March? What's the reason you couldn't get us up a paper on the strike?' I knew it would fetch round to every other week somehow. No, but seriously, there'll be plenty of newspaper accounts, but you could treat it in the historical spirit, like something that happened several centuries ago, Defoe's Plague of London style, eh? What made me think of it was beaten. If I could get hold of him, you two could go round together and take down its aesthetic aspects. It's a big thing, March, this strike is. I tell you it's imposing to have a private war, as you say, fought out this way in the heart of New York, and New York not minding it a bit. See? Might take that view of it, with your descriptions and beaten sketches. Well, it would just be the greatest card. Come, what do you say? Will you undertake to make it right with Mrs. March if I'm killed, and she and the children are not killed with me? Well, it would be difficult. I wonder how it would do to get Kendricks to do the literary part. I've no doubt he'd jump at the chance. I've yet to see the form of literature that Kendricks wouldn't lay down his life for. Say, March perceived that Fulkerson was about to vent another inspiration, and smiled patiently. Look here, what's the reason we couldn't get one of the strikers to write it up for us? Might have a symposium of strikers and presidents, March suggested. No, I'm in earnest. They say some of those fellows, especially the foreigners, are educated men. I know one fellow, 
a bohemian that used to edit a bohemian newspaper here he could write it out in his kind of dutch and we could get lindau to translate it i guess not said march dryly why not he'd do it for the cause wouldn't he suppose you put it up on him the next time you see him i don't see lindau any more said march he added i guess he's renounced me along with mr dryfoos's money pshaw you don't mean he hasn't been round since he came for a while but he's left off coming now i don't feel particularly gay about it march said with some resentment of fulkerson's grin he's left me in debt to him for lessons to the children fulkerson laughed out well he is the greatest old fool who'd a thought he'd a been in earnest with those principles of his but i suppose there have to be just such cranks it takes all kinds to make a world there has to be one such crank it seems march partially assented one's enough for me i reckon this thing is nuts for lindau too said fulkerson why it must act like a schooner of beer on him all the while to see gabital embarrassed like it is by this strike it must make old lindau feel like he was back behind the barricades at berlin well he's a splendid old fellow pity he drinks as i remarked once before when march left the office he did not go home so directly as he came perhaps because mrs march's eye was not on him he was very curious about some aspects of the strike whose importance as a great social convulsion he felt people did not recognize and with his temperance in everything he found its negative expressions as significant as its more violent phases he had promised his wife solemnly that he would keep away from these and he had a natural inclination to keep his promise he had no wish to be that peaceful spectator who always gets shot when there is any firing on a mob he interested himself in the apparent indifference of the mighty city which kept on about its business as tranquilly as if the private war being fought out in its midst were a vague rumour of indian troubles on the frontier and he realised how there might once have been a street feud of forty years in florence without interfering materially with the industry and prosperity of that city on broadway there was a silence where a jangle and clatter of horse-car bells and hoofs had been but it was not very noticeable and on all the avenues roofed by the elevated roads the silence of the surface tracks was not noticeable at all in the roar of the trains overhead some of the cross-town cars were beginning to run again with a policeman on the rear of each on the third avenue line operated by non-union men who had not struck there were two policemen beside the driver of every car and two beside the conductor to protect them from the strikers but there were no strikers in sight and on second avenue they stood quietly about in groups on the corners while march watched them at a safe distance a car laden with policemen came down the track but none of the strikers offered to molest it in their simple sunday best march thought them very quiet decent-looking people and he could well believe that they had nothing to do with the riotous outbreaks in other parts of the city he could hardly believe that there were any such outbreaks he began more and more to think them mere newspaper exaggerations in the absence of any disturbance or the disposition to it that he could see he walked on to the east river avenues a b and c presented the same quiet aspect 
a second avenue. Groups of men stood on the corners, and now and then a police-laden car was brought unmolested down the tracks before them. They looked at it and talked together, and some laughed, but there was no trouble. March got a cross-town car and came back to the west side. A policeman, looking very sleepy and tired, lounged on the platform. "'I suppose you'll be glad when this cruel war is over,' March suggested as he got in. The officer gave him a surly glance and made him no answer. His behaviour, from a man born to the joking give-and-take of our life, impressed March. It gave him a fine sense of the ferocity which he had read of the French troops putting on toward the populace just before the coup d'état. He began to feel like the populace, but he struggled with himself and regained his character of philosophical observer. In this character he remained in the car, and let it carry him by the corner where he ought to have got out and gone home, and let it keep on with him to one of the farthermost tracks westward, where so much of the fighting was reported to have taken place. But everything on the way was as quiet as on the east side. Suddenly the car stopped with so quick a turn of the brake that he was half thrown from his seat, and the policeman jumped down from the platform and ran forward. End of chapter 47